Welcome to the Pond Renew podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and this summer I'm not going to be doing any full series. But I thought, you know, maybe some people would like to do some Bible reading this summer on a vacation or traveling. In fact, I have a very good friend who really wants to study the book of Mark uh, this summer. And so I wanted to do a little podcast, and maybe I'll do one or two more this summer, a sort of a summary and an invitation for you to look at a particular book of the Bible and to uh, read it uh, this summer, hopefully giving you enough sort of background tools, some, some hacks of how to get into it to, to pique your curiosity uh, and to encourage you to read it. And so because my friend wants to read the book of Mark, uh, the gospel, uh, I'll start there and uh, hopefully today offer you some some tips on how to get into the book. When you read the Gospel of Mark, you would do well to remember that Mark's, St. Mark's uh, symbol is a lion. Fierce, cutting, quick. All the Gospels uh, over time sort of had an animal associated with them. Luke was an ox, domesticated. Uh, Jesus is sort of um, the kind of Jesus you'd want in your house, and he's often in people's homes. Hospitality is important. Jesus is well-spoken. The stories are clever and um, well-told. In the Gospel of John, where Jesus sort of soars above everyone, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the resurrection, um, in that, the, the John symbol is an eagle. Matthew is a person with his down-to-earth kind of concerns about the broken and the poor and the downtrodden. But Mark was a lion. And that's because the gospel is fierce. And Jesus does things that are unpredictable. There's a super fast tempo. And it seems like there's battle and evil lurking around every corner. So, so it's helpful to, to let Jesus in the gospel of Mark be explosive, to be uncomfortable, to be challenging to you. I want to give you some examples of where that uh, comes in. And frankly, it's often hard to get a sense of, of how raw and explosive Mark is. Because, well, for, for basically 2,000 years, the, the church, in some ways intentionally, in some ways in, unintentionally, has just been sort of softening up Mark. So, for instance, um, in, in the Gospel of Mark, um, in the very beginning, uh, there's a baptism of Jesus. And there's this, in Mark's Gospel, Mark says that the heavens are schismed open. Well, Matthew and Luke who probably had a copy of Mark with them when they were writing their gospel, they changed the word schism to open. Mark also uses the word when the Spirit then in chapter 1 casts out Jesus into wilderness. The word in Mark's gospel is exbalo, which means to literally ex out of ball throw, like to throw out, the way you throw out a demon, in fact. Matthew and Luke change it to lead, uh, you know, to lead out. Uh, it's just these subtle changes of words. And because many of us are more familiar with Mark and Luke, we often hear things, hear stories, even in their Mark's gospel, through this softened up lens. But the gospel of Mark, things are a bit edgier, a bit more raw. In the gospel of Luke, 11 times in the first chapter, the word immediately is used in Greek. 
But what's an English translator to do? That would be such bad English to have the same word used 11 times. So, of course, they translated in different ways, then, suddenly, quickly. But it loses some of just the, the rapid character of Mark. Immediately, 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 immediately. Some of that you um, just have to hope and trust your translators did the best job that they could. But don't succumb to the temptation to watermark down. It's unsettling and it's a bit confusing at times. The last sentence in the Gospel of Mark, in fact, ends with a preposition that just doesn't make sense grammatically in Greek. You can't use, now it's really a conjunction, I should say, you can't end a sentence with the word gar in Greek, but that's precisely what Mark does. The women leave the tomb terrified. Again, there's something haunting, mysterious, challenging about the presentation of Jesus in Mark's gospel. And let that be. Let yourself be a bit amazed and uncomfortable by the presentation of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. Second thing is expect it to be read it's uh, not just a line. Another way that I think about it, it's a bit like a puzzle. And that the genius of Mark is a little bit different than the other writers. So um, Luke tells the best stories. And John has these amazing dialogues between individuals and, and Jesus. And Matthew puts together these phrases and... Um, and, and prayers, but Mark, his genius is the way in which the stories are stacked up together. And so they tend to, um, it's again, it's not the individual story, but it's often that they have meanings that are revealed by putting themselves together. So for instance, in the first chapter, you have the baptism of Jesus, and it's immediately followed by the temptation of the wilderness. Mark there is making a statement about how baptism isn't into a life of comfort, but into a life of confrontation with evil. Also, at one point, John the Baptist is beheaded, and then the next story is of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And you get this beautiful contrast of Herod and this opulent meal at which John the Baptist is killed, and this feast on the hill with only five loaves of bread and just some disciples that Jesus feeds thousands of people with. And it's such a contrast about power and generosity and food and hospitality in the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. Or you have chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Mark's gospel. Um, Jesus is on the road. And in fact, in that section, again, it's, it's this middle section. They're always on the road. And in that section, it's, it's capped ended by, the, by Jesus healing blind people. And it's then Mark's way of saying that Jesus is on this road toward this journey with his Jesus because the disciples are blind. And it begins to make sense of the disciples' comments and their struggles to have their eyes open to who Jesus is and their purposes in light of who Jesus is. So functionally, what that means is that if you're going to read the Gospel of Mark, it would be good to read a large stretches at a time. Even if you only want to study one part, like read all of chapter 6 and then focus focus on, you know, one of the, sometimes people call them pericopes, or, you know, if you're using it devotionally, 
uh, you can look at a smaller section, but, but it's really helpful in Mark's gospel to always read the story before and always read the story after because that's, how, that's Mark's brilliance is how he weaves these stories together, much like a puzzle. In fact, the whole gospel is a bit like a mystery, um, answering the question subtly, um, who do you say that I am? And it's fascinating that in the Gospel of Mark, you actually only get this answer really at the end, most clearly, when the centurion says, truly, this was the Son of God, a mysterious appointee to be the bearer of truth there, a Roman centurion. There are plenty of other deep hints and, and really ways in which we would affirm the divinity of Jesus throughout. But again, there's something like a puzzle, mysterious, this stitching together um, of, of this question, uh, you know, who is Jesus and what has he done and what therefore must I do in my life? The solution to the puzzle for Mark, though, isn't simply really the confession of the centurion, but it really is the cross. The whole orientation of Mark's gospel, some people even said it's a prologue and then the passion reading. The first seven chapters of Mark's gospel take about three years. Then the sort of eight, nine, and ten probably take a few months on their journey on the road. And then the last chapters, 11 through 16, take only a week's time. It slows down and it becomes very intentional in, in great detail about what this last week was like for Jesus. And that's because, Mark, it's, it's about the, the cross. And in light of that, then, Mark, more than any other gospel writers, probably will, will reveal the, the difficulties for the disciples, the way in which they, they blunder. And so in this way, Mark's gospel is, is often the most accessible because, well, it's about real people who are making mistakes following Jesus, people like you and me. It's also, of all four of the gospels, probably the, the one least written for a Jewish audience. There's, I could get technically into why this is, but there's a lot of ways in which you really don't have to be a Jewish person to fully understand it, especially John and, and, and Matthew. I mean, uh, really have so much sort of um, Jewish background to them. Mark doesn't have it in the same way. So my encouragement would be it's, it's a great story. It's well told. It's compelling and invites you into the mystery of who is Jesus and why are the forces of evil so raging against him? And I think it can be then a great hope for those of us who live as disciples in a world in which we're struggling to understand on a daily basis who God is and uh, why evil is so powerful, giving us hope that our God in Jesus Christ is alive and on the move. So if you read the Gospel of Mark this summer, uh, email me your questions if you have any. Let me know what you think. But uh, happy reading. And again, I think later on this summer I might do this for one or two other books. Just an invitation uh, to do some summer reading.